We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, I mentioned that today our theme, we're talking about how, we define, how God defines us as believers, and in turn, how, how we define ourselves in the world around us. And so today, specifically what we want to look at is um, the Word and how God speaks not only about Himself, but also speaks about us as well. Um, and I think we know that that's important. So um, you think of, of, of um, how frustrating life can be or how frustrating life sometimes is when you cannot communicate, right? Um, um, if you've ever, if you've gone to a foreign country, if you've, if you've been with those that maybe English isn't their first language, like when, when we, we, take, we make certain assumptions with one another and when we can't accurately communicate or what we think we are communicating is different than what the person is hearing, all kinds of things can happen, right? And so I think on that level, we understand uh, the power of words, right? Uh, the power of language. Um, some have said that language, language shapes the world in which we live. And, it, and it, in some ways, it, it frames the relationships that you have with other people. So the words you choose to use, the words you choose not to use, frame these relationships, right? So this isn't just a, a um, um, kind of an academic theory, but language is alive, it's breathing, um, it impacts each of us and all of our relationships, right? So it, it, it frames the world in which we live. Um, when I uh, was first married and when we had our very first child, um, I started a tradition that as I look back and actually as I prepared this sermon, um, I thought this seems a little bit odd. And I've never asked my wife, but she probably thinks it's a little bit odd as well, but we had our, we had our first child, and, and so as a new family, um, um, for the very first time, you kind of start doing family vacations, right? So you're going to travel and go places and see things, um, and one of the things that you see, and maybe you've even done that this summer, or if you're going to go on vacation, um, is that you, you're going to find plaques, and you're going to find words in the places that you're going to, right? Okay? Um, now, if you're kids, you probably just run straight past them. And if you're like an old timer like me that likes history and stuff, I like stop and read every single plaque, right? Every single plaque. And, um, but there, there are words in almost every place that you go on vacation. So that became evident um, very early on when we uh, had our first son named Theron. Um, and, and maybe this is a little bit, some of you can do a, um, a psychological analysis of me afterwards. And my relationship to words and how words create boundaries. And maybe you're going to be a little suspect of my parenting. But I'm going to show you a few pictures that started from the very first child that we had. This is TJ. This is my eldest. He is 22 years old. This was at Yellowstone, I believe. And do you notice the words that are at his feet? Okay. So my wife asked, he was about how old do you think, James? 15 months old, okay? So now this is where I said, you might have, don't call the authorities on me at all, but uh, you might be doing psychological analysis of me. So um, words, right, that create boundaries and that communicate something. So in this case, danger, thermal area, and then I told my 15-month-old to stand just behind the sign so I could get a picture of it. So I said... Uh, so it's, 
this is a little bit on the edge. Okay, so I started that with TJ, but then once you start it, um, sometimes there are jokes that are only funny to yourself. I think this might be one of them because it just kept going. Uh, so here's another picture. This is Tatum, um, and this is actually on the other coast. This is in, I think, South Carolina. Um, so that's little Tatum, probably about 15 months as well. Um, please keep off the dunes, right? Okay, so now I've put, placed both of my children in technically illegal areas. Uh, here's another one. This one, I think, was at Disneyland. So this one, I got Kira and Tatum into it. Um, I said, go stand by that door that said, keep out. They're like, what is wrong with you? Like, they think I'm so odd, okay? There's that one. Kira was a good sport. Here's another one. Um, closed, please use other docks. So she's like, Kira was always up for, for kind of posing in front of signs. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, here's one more. This is, this is actually on a, a roller coaster. We're going up. I was behind the boys. You can kind of see them at the bottom. And so I was joking with them to try to stand up on the roller coaster when it says do not stand up, okay? So these are words, right, that are, that are framing and, and giving us information. Uh, another one, authorized staff. I have no idea where this one was. That is a, that is a firefighter symbol on, symbol on the bottom, so I'm not sure. I don't know. I just found s signs where my kids were not supposed to be, and then I told them to stand by it, okay? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> And then last one, uh, this one was at a waterfall. So yeah, warning, keep back from the water. My, my kids were all kind of good sports about it, right? So, <clears throat> so throughout um, our vacations, almost every time, I get my kids to go stand by words, by a sign um, that in some sense is kind of framing where you are to be and where you're not to be. So like I said, you can make, do a psychological analysis of me. Maybe I don't like rules quite so much. Um, those kind of things. But, but that's what words do for us, right? And, and, and in many of these cases, these are, those are good signs, right? Especially for kids, like, because they keep us safe, right? They frame where we should be, where we shouldn't be, right? Um, today, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about the role that the Bible and language plays in our lives as believers and in our understanding of who He is. So He, as the author of Scripture and the author of our world, gets to define himself and who he is, right? And so we are going to look at Scripture, and we are going to see signs, and we are going to hear words, and we're going to hear communication from our God above about who he is, who we are, and most importantly, what he has done for us, okay? So um, I think on some level, we understand how important that communication and that language is. Uh, Charlemagne was the king of the Holy Roman Empire uh, about 7-800 A.D., um, once said this about this, the, the, the importance of language in someone's life. He said, to learn a second language is to possess a second soul, right? And I think we, we get that. We understand how important language and communication, and today we're going to see how important God's language and communication is on the pages of Scripture, okay? So uh, here's our roadmap of where we're headed today, kind of three points I want to bring out from uh, the prophet Isaiah. Um, so we are defined by words, by the word, by scripture. Um, that word reveals need, it shows timeless truths, and ultimately for us as believers, it actually produces change. It has the power to do the very thing it commands us to do, okay? So those are kind of be the three places we go. Um, now, uh, setting a little bit of our text here today, um, Prophet Isaiah uh, um, was, was, was preaching these words and, and was a, a mouthpiece of 
our God above. And what's fascinating is, is that um, this is 700 years before Jesus would ever fulfill the words that, in large part, Isaiah is going to talk about today. So when we talk about communication, when we talk about words, um, there is there's importance in, in accuracy, um, not just in the moment, but actually across time as well. And so what's wonderful is we're reading words from Isaiah that were 700 years before Jesus and 2,700 years before we sit here in Firestone today. And yet the words are just as accurate, just as true and just as beneficial for us here today as well. So, uh, Prophet Isaiah speaking mouthpiece of his Lord this morning. So, uh, let's jump into our text. You're welcome to follow along in your bulletin. Uh, there's a little spot you can make notes, doodle if you want, uh, draw pictures, um, um, and we'll have uh, the scriptures there, but we'll also have it on the screen behind me here as well. So, I'm going to start with just the very first verse of our text. It says this, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Okay, so um, the Lord, through Isaiah, kind of sets the scene of what's happening here, right? Uh, come all you who are thirsty, and you're going to receive that without cost. So kind of two things. So, so God is making an assumption of thirst, and then also telling you what the cost is going to be on what he's offering, Okay. That first one, that assumption of thirst, um, have any of you ever been to Rocky Mountain IV Medics? No? Okay. Um, you have? Okay, good. So this is kind of, it's, it's newer to me. Uh, um, I, I thought that IV bags and things like that were exclusively the kind of the realm of doctors and nurses, but it's becoming more and more popular, right, and for, um, for recovery, right? Yeah, for recovery. So after, after hiking or athletic uh, um, events, things like that, uh, for, for recovery. And this is off of their website. Uh, it says, who should get an IV? Almost anyone. That's a pretty big market for them, right? So yeah, almost anyone. Uh, dependent on your health history, almost everyone will benefit from receiving IV hydration. So um, what, and I am not getting paid by them, by the way. So I've got a couple IV bags in the office. They were just promotional. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but what are they assuming of us? Yeah, we, we, yeah, that we can't drink water. Good, I like someone said that, yeah. Um, not that we can't drink water, but that we chronically don't drink water, right? And it's kind of fascinating because um, I think the assumption is accurate, right? If we, I, if we got blood tests from all of you today, the many, many, most of us, I probably are some degree or another dehydrated, right? So uh, Rocky Mountain IV Clinic has kind of tapped into that, said we can give you an IV, we can rehydrate you, we can give you the stuff that your body needs, and it's going to help your body operate more efficiently, okay? Our text and God through Isaiah are on some level assuming the very same thing of us spiritually, okay? That we are dehydrated, that we are in need, and that we are thirsty. Uh, and I think we probably don't have to dig too deep to reveal that thirst, right? Um, so in a spiritual sense, we, we see that, right? Um, we, we, we feel the pain of sin in our lives, sin that others have committed against us, but also sin that we have committed against others. 
right? Um, we, we intimately feel the brokenness of what it means to live in this world. Chronic illness, loss of loved ones, right? Um, physical ailments that um, um, your body just breaking down, not working as you want it to work, not working consistently how you want it to work, right? Um, and so I think we can look into our own lives, and I don't think we have to dig very deep to probably say, yeah, I'm a little spiritually dehydrated. In fact, maybe you would say, I am a lot spiritually dehydrated, right? That's the thing that God assumes of us. Um, we talked about it, I believe, last week or the week before. Augustine had the quote that we've got a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. That is true for us spiritually, right? God, in our text, is tapping into that. Now, um, God, through Isaiah, talks about that, but actually Jesus said the very same thing. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, we read this last week, said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And I have yet to find someone that has argued with that, that they are not to some degree spiritually dehydrated and that we on some level don't or want, desire rest, right? Um, and so from Isaiah... To Jesus, he is assuming that there is something that we need, a thirst, right? A burden, a weariness. And I, don't, I, I think we agree with that, right? So um, step back just a little bit. How is Isaiah or our God um, fulfilling that thirst, right? What's fascinating is that we're reading from Isaiah 55, just two chapters earlier is Isaiah 53. Um, that is a chapter that you hear, you hear regularly, right, around Easter, uh, Good Friday, and things like that. Um, Isaiah 53 answers the question and the place from which we can get our thirst. So 53 verse 6 says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, spiritually thirsty, broken, fractured, in need of, 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 of help right? Uh, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So on some level, Isaiah was setting the scene for what he's talking about in chapter 55. He's saying, what is the answer? Why can you come to the Lord when you're weary and burdened? How can you find rest? Where do you find, uh, um, where is your thirst quenched? Well, it was someone that was going to come that was going to um, bear the burden that we earned. More specifically, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us exactly what that looks like. It says, for as by grace you have been saved through faith in this, not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So the two things we found in 55, very first, right? Number one, we, there is a universal spiritual thirst that we all have. That's fulfilled in Christ. Uh, number two, what does it cost us? Nothing, right? Um, it, it costs us nothing, right? The fulfillment of that thirst, that, that spiritual renewal um, is not because we, we follow a certain, uh, um, certain steps. It's not because we, we do the right things, walk in the right way. Do the, it's purely and solely on and because of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so Jesus and God in Isaiah 55 says, number one, I know you're thirsty. Here's the answer to it, and it's without cost. Christianity has a term for that. We call that grace, right? Undeserved love, right? 
you have that in Christ. So from Isaiah to Jesus' fulfillment of that, that is exactly, the, um, on some level, encompasses Jesus' ministry, doesn't it? We are thirsty, we are broken, we are in need. Christ came and fulfilled that need without cost, right? You don't have to be a certain person. You don't have to have a certain resume. You don't have to have a certain bloodline or pedigree. You don't have to be from a certain country uh, or age free without cost on account of Christ. And so when we look at Isaiah 55, that's what we build off of, isn't it? And in fact, not just Isaiah 55, but all of Scripture. This is what is building and how God communicates to us. He communicates to us that um, what we already know intuitively, that there is a brokenness and there is a need. But he also communicates to us time and time again, page after page on the, uh, of, of the Bible, that he has fulfilled that need. Most specifically, most fully, in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, okay? So that's, that's kind of our first point there, right? That he reveals that need and we see that fulfilled in Jesus. But Isaiah goes on. I'm going to read for you the next few verses here, 6 through 8. It says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, so if, if, if Isaiah reveals the need and the answer to that as Jesus... This kind of unpacks a secondary issue here and, and, and the importance of Scripture and the written Word and insight into the mind of our God above. And what is he saying? He's saying, well, there are things that are in my mind about me, about who I am as your Lord and Savior, about me as your God um, that are beyond you, that will be beyond you. Now, Maybe at first blush, we'd say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> Feels like a little bit of an uncomfortable place to be. But, but think of the alternative. If you could understand every thought and idea of your God above, if you could decipher every last uh, um, um, thing that was going through his mind, how much of a God would he be? Well, not much at all. He'd be like you and I, wouldn't he? And so God just says it. The Lord says it through Isaiah. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. The, there are things that about, about me that are bigger and broader uh, um, than, than what you can understand. But here's my encouragement to you. Rather than seeing that as a problem, that's actually something beautiful. Because the truth is, your God above stands outside of time and our space. Your God above ha has written himself into our lives, into our history on the pages of scripture, and those truths are timeless, okay? So they span cultures, they span time, they span nations because they come from the outside in. That's essentially what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah. Um, and the reason that's important is because um, my guess is there are things that you thought that you, and ways that you, you, you lived or, or things you understood or even words that you used early in your life that now you n maybe never would, right? Maybe there are things that you knew or you thought you knew at one point that have been proven wrong. That happens, I think, to every single one of us. There's some uh, interesting 
um, um, predictions um, that have proved kind of fascinatingly, comedically wrong. Uh, this first one, maybe some of you heard this, William Orton, uh, so he worked for Western Union. This was an internal memo. said, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. How many of you have phones in your pocket? Okay. Okay, right? Now, you can't, we're not going to beat up on William. Well, we can. He's from 1876. He's not around anymore, right? But, uh, but right? But um, um, he, he was making his best guess. He was making a statement. He was communicating something. But clearly, um, that was not the case. The second one here is interesting as well. It's from Ernest uh, Rutherford, 1908. <clears throat> so, Nobel uh, Prize winner. He said, the energy produced by the breaking down of the atom is a very poor kind of thing. Anyone who expects a source of power from the transformation of these atoms is taking moonshine. Yeah, I know. Interesting, because nuclear power and all those things are, you know. Um, and in fact, I think there's a movie that is releasing this weekend um, that, that talks about it, right? So, um, so we, we make statements, we make with the best knowledge that we have at our fingertips in that moment, but the truth is we, we are not the arbiters of all things. We are not the author of this world, and we don't have all the best information at hand at every given moment, and so we do the best we can, right? But at times, it's proven wrong. And yet, with our God above, who stands outside of time and Scripture, those truths are proved over and over and over again as timeless, that they are able to peer into our souls, into our cultures, and in fact, across cultures, and answer the deeper questions that at times we refuse even to ask. Okay? Um, Isaiah 40 um, gives us a little more insight into that. So go back a few more chapters in Isaiah. Isaiah. He says this, All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And so what is Isaiah saying? He's saying these words, the communication God gives us on the pages of Scripture stands outside of time. It answers deeper questions. Um, it's timeless and it's true and it's objective. And it's the place that we can go to have our thirst, our spiritual thirst quenched in him. Okay? Okay. So uh, last point then here. Um, I'm going to read for you verses 10 through 11, actually. Isaiah says this, As the rain and snow come down from heaven, do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Okay, so if, if, if Isaiah reveals our spiritual thirst, fulfills that, that spiritual thirst in Christ and specifically in his timeless truths in the pages of the Bible, then we can go to the next layer and say, okay, then what does it do for us, right? What practical impact, what, how does this change me, change my life, my actions, or even my thoughts at times, right? Um, that's exactly what Isaiah is talking about. He's saying that word that we have on the pages of Scripture um, is, is that powerful, that um, with us, in spite of us, and sometimes over the top of us, God's word is powerful and will have its effect. Um, 
Do any of you know that? Okay, do some of you live at the base of that maybe? Or near it? Or can see it? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, some of you that are from Decono, right? Um, but maybe you grew up with a water tower in your hometown and they kind of become, become a fixture and things like that. Um, I think the water tower is maybe a good illustration for what Isaiah is talking about at the end of our text here, okay? Um, a water tower not only stores water, right, which we need to be able to go through our pipes, but the fascinating thing about a water tower is not only does it physically store water, but, um, but it, it stores potential energy as well, okay? Um, because at the height that it is, it, it stores potential energy. So what that means is it wants to go down. It creates pressure. Um, it, when we turn on our faucets, it's able to come out. And so water towers do both those things, not just store the water, but also potential energy. And I think that is a pretty good illustration when we talk about the power of God's word in our lives and in how we use it. Um, the energy, the power, the, the quenching that it brings is not because of us, not because of how eloquent we are or not, um, but we are able to, to bring that water to the people in our lives. And it has power. It has energy. It changes hearts. Okay. Now, um, the Apostle Paul knew this. We talk about the Apostle Paul and arguably maybe one of the greatest Christian missionaries that our world has ever seen. And he was sent out into the known world in order to share this thirst-quenching word with the world. And we know those results were sometimes varied. But Paul knew the power of God's word. First Corinthians, he says this. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And so this is what Paul understood. God uses, he could use anything, but he uses us, he uses you to be able to bring that life-giving, uh, um, thirst-quenching word to our culture, to your family, your friends, and your community. Right? And the results? Well, we put those in God's hand, right? And he's got a pretty good track record, actually, right? Um, he has been changing hearts for thousands of years. And you say, well, what's proof of that? You all are, right? You are, because your hearts have been changed. And in fact, James says the very same thing. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And so the word changes hearts. The word quenches spiritual thirst. The word answers the deep questions, the hard questions, the questions that we at times don't even want to bring up in our own minds or with our family or our friends. The word does it all. Right? It has the power to do exactly what God wants it to do, and we are, um, have the privilege of being able to share that with the people around us. Martin Luther once said, said this concerning the word. The soul can do without everything except the word, except the word of God, without which none at all of its wants are provided for. So how essential is the word of God for us as Christians? When we talk about defining ourselves as believers, you cannot do that without God's word, right? You cannot, we cannot do that 
without God's own voice saying, here is who I am, here is who you are, and most importantly, here is what I have done for you without cost, freely given on account of grace, right? Can't be understated. Okay, three takeaways for you here today. We talk about word, talk about the impact of our word, God's word in our lives. He uses us to share it. So three things, drink, watch, and quench. First is, drink deeply of the word of your Lord. On the pages of Scripture, as you open them, as you meditate on them, as you read them, as you study them, as you pray on them, drink deeply from the only source that satisfies our spiritual thirst, pages of Scripture, okay? Second one, right, is watch, right? Um, Watch how you use your words, we know how, uh, bene- how beneficial, how beautiful that words can be. We also know intimately how damaging they can be. So drink from the word of the Lord, but secondarily, watch your own words. How you speak, how you treat those around you, the words you choose to use, the words you refrain from using. Watch your own words because they are powerful. And the last one, use your words to quench the spiritual thirst that the people around you have. And sometimes they don't even know it, right? But that's the joy we have, is that we are able to share the word of the Lord, specifically share Christ with those who are, are, are spiritually parched, thirsty, and dehydrated. We're able to bring the living water, specifically Jesus, to them. May the Lord bless you as you do that. May the Lord bless your words and your speaking as you do that. And as he changes hearts, through his word and through each of you. Amen.